with Psalm 1 this morning and this evening. Uh, we're considering God's word in Psalm number 2. Let's pray uh, for a moment. Father, these are your words. Help us to understand that, to submit to them, to consider them alive, for they are, for your word is living. And what these words say, you say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, why do the nations rage, we read, and the people's plot in vain? Uh, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hell. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a, a, a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. Uh, King Charles is so new on the throne, you possibly haven't seen a coin with his head on it yet, uh, but you will. But I wonder what you think of him with his uh, checkered past. Uh, did uh, you say the oath as a loyal subject on coronation day, maybe you just made the, the coronation quiche, or maybe you didn't bother. <laughs> what did you think of the multi-faith parts of the coronation service? I wonder how long do you think he will last on the throne? Psalm 2 is about a time when David was king in Israel. He was God's anointed he was anointed, you'll remember, by Samuel, yes, in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, you'll remember after they had searched through all the other sons of, of Jesse, uh, all the brothers Eliab and Shammah, and eventually they got to the youngest. He wasn't even present in the first count. He was out in the field. But David was God's man, his chosen one for the throne. He was to rule, and he was to rule well, being a representative of God's covenant faithfulness to the nation and so there and then in front of his brothers he was anointed but it's a it's a big job uh, for not only was he to be an example uh, to the people leading them in, in God's way leading them from the front he was to be an example also to the to the nations watching on Deuteronomy 4, 5 and 6 says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And David is at the head of this. 
Okay. Israel under David were to be just that. They were meant to, to, be, to be seen uh, uh, as Israel and thought of uh, as, as like, wow, what's going on over there? God is really blessing them over there. Uh, he is, um, David, uh, under God's authority, shepherding those people so well over there. I, I wish we had some of that. Uh, I wish he would bless us like that, God. Let, let's honor their king as our king and be part of that. Do you remember how God promised to Abraham in Genesis 12? I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's, it's not uh, that, that God was, would make him and his family into a great nation, Abraham. It was also that in him all the families of the earth would see blessing. That's a very important biblical promise. But these nations are not wishing that David was their king, are they? Or happy that David is their king as they're part of, of the empire already, as these nations mentioned in verse 1 are. Here in Psalm 2, they're actually doing the opposite. As we see kings revolt tonight, verses 1 to 3, there's rebellion in the empire of King David. There is the threat of mutiny. We heard that word yesterday, didn't we? In the east, <laughs> mutiny. There are Gentile kings in the region who want nothing more to do with the Lord's anointed and his kingship over them. The nations rage, we read. Or in our translation, the nations uh, conspire. The nations plan evil. They want to rebel. They don't want the righteous rule of David. They want to cast it off, is the idea. Uh, they, the morality of the, of the Ten Commandments, the, the God knows best for this world of that. Surely we, we have our own God. We've got our own way. And they get together and they scheme and they plot uh, to throw off the shekels of all of that plot here at the end of verse 1 is the same word actually as meditate in Psalm 1 verse 2 that we read this morning at the other side of the page maybe or the other, just the other side in your Bible. It's, it's, it's mutter, that's that word, to meditate. Freedom has, has always been, been Satan's tagline, hasn't it? Back in the beginning, Adam and Eve were convinced that, that God was somehow hindering them uh, from their true potential by saying, oh, you can't eat from that tree. They needed to break free from that. But like a, like a fish convinced that freedom for him was to sunbathe on a yacht rather than in the sea that he was made for, it was a lie and a costly one. The situation represents, of course, the deeper and bigger truth uh, concerning uh, the worldly reaction to God's authority and that of his anointed one. And it's been this way, this deeper kind of repeating truth uh, in various forms throughout the centuries. We have this, of course, in our day. And maybe we wonder at times where it's coming from as the secular agenda pushes more and more, uh, pushes God more and more out of the way, it seems, in the school classroom, in the public square, in the workplace, but the anti-God, anti-authority, anti-objective truth, pro-self, pro-expressive individualism, pro-pride month, whatever, whatever you want to have it, 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 it's everywhere we look, all in the name of freedom, isn't it? 
Throw off the shackles. Get rid of it. Let's cut ties with the very thing that actually gave us a nation that people are flocking across the English Channel to get into. The bedrock of the biblical worldview that enabled us to get here is being cast off and cut ties with before our eyes. Laws based on God's laws. Love for God and love for neighbor built this place. Human dignity based on the fact that we believe that people are made in God's image, created a society and the, and the hospitals and the schools and the opportunities that, that prospered this place, the country where you live. Threw off the shackles. Threw off the concept of truth even. It's, it's fluid. Everyone's got their own version of truth and yet so terribly inconsistent. How can you complain that uh, Philip Schofield or Boris Johnson lied when we've been told for years that there's no such thing as truth. That makes no sense whatsoever. For the nations plotting in David's day, the pathway to life is accepting God's rule under King David. That's the only path worth taking. Obeying God's uh, leader is, is obeying God. Uh, to cast off and burst their bonds is, is the pathway to death and destruction. But that is what they choose. Verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That's what they choose. And the same, of course, is true today. It's God's way and God's rule if you want to find life. The alternative is a race to destruction. It's a race to the bottom. And there are plenty choosing destruction. Except, of course, today, the kings of the earth are not relatively few in number now we have billions of the sovereign self on planet earth, don't we? It's the way it's put. You can be your own king, really. Your own self. Who counsel together, set themselves against God. That's still going on, isn't it? But verse 1 says, the nations and the peoples plot in vain. Richard of York gave battle in vain. You know, rainbow colors. In other words, Richard of York did not give battle at all. Um, that's a failure, isn't it? And a failure of an attempt. A plot that didn't come off. They set themselves against the Lord's, the Lord God and his, his Christ, his anointed. They cut themselves off from the only solution to being a sinner in God's world. Which is to trust in God's anointed king. The word uh, anointed is, um, is Messiah. Messiah comes from the Hebrew word for anointed. Those, those two words are connected. And of course, the word Christ comes from translating the word anointed into Greek in the New Testament. So we've got Messiah, anointed, and Christ. They're all, you know, much of a muchness. They, they mean the same thing. Jesus is King David at the end of the royal line in that other important biblical promise. We'll talk about that in a moment. King's revolt. Secondly, heaven's view. What is God's response to this rebellion, to this coup? What is God's response? Is he, is he raised? No, he's seated. Is he concerned? No, he laughs it off. Is he deterred? No, he carries on just to see him. We're told that he who sits in heaven laughs. God laughs at this. It's just laughable to him. It's like, it's like a three-year-old stopping you in the street and raising his fist to you as a grown man or a grown woman and saying, let's have it. 
with an infinitely greater gap than between you and the three-year-old. It's laughable, isn't it? The creator is not concerned with a grasshopper as God looks down. Remember Isaiah 40, Trinity Sunday, looks down and we're like grasshoppers. The creator is not concerned with a grasshopper threatening him. Those who think so little of him are so very little themselves. How absurd, how irrational, how futile the attempts made by puny humans to rebel against God. God is not just laughing. He is also angered, isn't he? It's there at the end of verse 4. Verse 4 says he holds them in derision. In other words, NIV, the Lord scoffs at them. He speaks to them in his wrath, rebuking them. He, he will terrify them, we read. And this is the same word used to describe the mood that when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. You remember at the end of Genesis and they're all, they're, they, they don't know why they, they've been able to get green and somebody's looking after them and all, all of a sudden it's Joseph. And he's second in command in, in Egypt. And, look, and now they're terrified. God does not negotiate with these rebels. Rather, God is undeterred in his plans. In verse 6, he still sets his king on Zion, his holy hill. They say, let us burst our bonds. And God says, I have set my or installed my king undeterred. Zion here, and Zion in scripture, is the name for a, a tiny area that lay on the southeastern slopes of Jerusalem where David actually set his kingdom up from. Uh, so it's got historical significance. I have set my king, you get the idea. But, but actually it's bigger than that. Uh, Zion is another name for Jerusalem later uh, in Isaiah 10, 24, but it's also uh, known as the place where the temple will be built. I say will be built because, of course, in David's day, it was not yet built. It was not built in David's day. It was built in Solomon's day, his son. But David drew up the plans and he knew the location. It was Zion. But a future promise this was. I have set my king. A future promise from God can be put in the past tense like that, can't it, in the Bible? Because it's so sure that it's as if it's already happened. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. David would also have known that future was in play here with this promise. Thirdly, King's proclamation, verses 7 to 9. In verse 7, uh, David is presenting uh, here the one that this psalm is actually all about. Uh, the future forever king that in in. In, in David's line that God promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7, another very important promise in the Bible. Genesis 12, very important promise. 2 Samuel chapter 7, very important promise. When God said, after you've died, David, I will establish the throne of your kingdom forever. When God said, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. Again, in 2 Samuel 7. And we have it here, don't we? You are my son. Today I have begotten you. God will take an heir of David as a son. That's, that's adoption language. David presents the speaker as the future king from his line at the throne that God has promised to establish forever. He's the one who will reign, establishing God's dominion over all creation. David didn't think it was himself. Uh, verse 7, the Lord said to me, 
God says to his chosen one, the king tells us that it was the Lord himself who spoke this decree. You see it there? The Lord said to me, and this, the chosen one speaks, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Think of Jesus' baptism. You are my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. The phrase today I have begotten you there in verse 7 is, is like saying today I have become your father. Not in the sense of the king's birth, but rather his adoption and, and coronation. This is not really Jesus as the second person of the Trinity. This is his sonship as the Messiah, the, the adopted son, the installed king. It's a little bit different than maybe what you're expecting. He's the adopted son. He's the Messiah. He's the king, the installed king. In the Bible, you, you don't have a coronation. Instead, you anoint with oil. You pour oil all over his head, the new king. And this is what this language speaks of, the coronation of God's new king. In verse 7, sorry, verse 7 is quoted three times in the New Testament, actually. Uh, twice in Hebrews, uh, showing the uh, supremacy of God's son and Jesus' role as the, as the priest uh, being combined with his status as son as well. But the, the first one in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 13. And it's, it's important because Paul's preaching in the synagogue in Antioch. And he says that this was about Jesus, this verse. And this was fulfilled when he was raised from the dead. Paul, Paul says in Romans 1, 4, that Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. The Messiah King is installed in the throne and his, in, his installation is completed, as it were, at the resurrection. But verse 9 is, is also interesting. You will, shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The king, the son, is strong, isn't he? There's been a a tendency, I think I grew up with a bit of this, in, in recent decades to sort of soft touch Christianity. Something Someone's called it lily-livered Christianity. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but it's kind of like too much lamb, not enough lion, as it were. Jesus is no wimp. Please understand. He is strong. Uh, yes, he's gentle with us, Matthew 12, 20. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench. But Christ the King is a strong king. Iron, of course, applied to a leader means strength. Margaret Thatcher, the iron lady, I don't know if you thought of her, but she would not give in to the demands. She would not negotiate. She would not relent in the 1980s. Jesus is mighty. He is powerful. He is a real man. He will dash his enemies into pieces. He will break them with a rod of iron. Like pottery, he can smash to pieces. Finally tonight, world's outcome. Look at verses 10 to 12. They can plot all they want, but he's too strong for them. His inheritance is the nations and he will have his inheritance. The earth is the Lord and he will give its title to his chosen king. 
the Messiah, the Christ. The nations, not with their own way, not with their own religions or ways, but he alone as the ruler. Adam was called the son of God. Land was given to Adam, wasn't it? He was told to expand the borders of it, but he, but he failed. Uh, land was promised to Abraham, yes. Israel was also called God's firstborn son. Land was received by Israel at the conquest, but, but Israel failed too. David knew himself that he was, in a sense, uh, the son, but not the king that would fulfill all the promises that God had made to him. He had land when Israel was in its prime, in its heyday. The kingdom was united, but the kingdom soon splintered and divided. But this son is the ultimate son. And the ultimate son gets the ultimate land. It's the whole earth. When the new Jerusalem extends to the whole earth. Isaiah 2 verses 2 to 5 says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the house of the Lord shall be established at the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. It's coming. It's coming. Despite the plots of the wicked, Despite the failures of, of those on the inside, these are words all about Jesus. He is the anointed one, the Christ, God's chosen man set apart. He, this is Jesus' songbook. The Psalms are Jesus' songbook. He sang these songs. And as a young boy, as a, a teenager, as a young man, he sang these songs. But of course, he was singing about himself. Because they're all about him. In Acts chapter 4, the words of verse 1 are used. Uh, Peter and John have been arrested in Acts chapter 4 and, and brought to the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. Uh, they're in big trouble legally, right? The, the legal head of the, of the Jewish establishment. And, and they quote these words, uh, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Strange, don't you think, to use the words of the kingdom of David against the people who live in the kingdom. But even ethnic Jews gathered against the Lord's anointed when he was revealed as Jesus. For, of course, real Jews, as I've said before, are Jesus' followers. Proper, fully-fledged Israel took a look to the Messiah in, Jesus, in, in, in David's line. And there, there can be ethnic Jews or there can be ethnic Gentiles like you and I. I think we, we're all Gentiles. For the New Testament brings into Israel all who follow Jesus. It opens it up to the nations. He's the king of the nations. 
John 12, we read, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. He's the king of the nations, but he's also its judge. This is a, a royal psalm. That means it's a, a kingly psalm. It's the first one. There are some more. But it finishes with an appeal, uh, a warning in verses 10, 11, and 12. A statement about the uniqueness of the one that they need and the only one that we all need. God's anointed king, his Christ, his Messiah. He will win, we are told. He will wipe all other claims away. He will destroy all other strongholds. His wrath is quickly kindled towards his enemies. Stand and plot against him. Commit treason and you will perish in the way is the idea. Human death is not natural. I say this at funerals all the time. It's um, not meant to be this way. It's also God's judgment on sin this way in the world. And it will be fully displayed on the final day when in the second death, the, 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 the lake of fire is, is opened up and populated. Be wise is the words that the kings need to hear. Be wise. The sovereign self in 2023 20, needs to hear, be wise. The kings of the earth, be wise. Be warned is the other important warning. God's wisdom is not popular, but it's the wisdom of the one who made the world. Be wise and be warned. Don't, don't think it'll be okay. Be sure you're, you're found as a loyal subject of the king of kings. The Lord's anointed one, his Christ. Serve the Lord with fear. He's the one to serve. And in that we find joy and satisfaction. We get to approach him. We approach him with honor and, and revere and recognize who he is. Kiss the son, we read. It uh, was customary to kiss the king. In uh, 1 Samuel 10, when Saul was anointed by Samuel, King Saul was anointed and Samuel pours oil on his head and he kissed him. He kissed him. So that's, that's what you, you often did at uh, the anointing of the king. Kiss the ring of your king. That's also what people have done down through the centuries. Pay him homage. No king but Christ. Blessed are, are all who take refuge in him, we read. Blessed, of course, comes in the context of the psalm before, doesn't it? Remember, blessed means, oh, happy, how happy is the man, as we heard this morning. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. In fact, you're supposed to sort of bookend the two psalms like that. Blessed and blessed. At the start of Psalm 1 at the end of Psalm 2, you're, you're sort of seeing, you see them together. That's what you're meant to do. Linguistically, they sort of belong together. Take refuge in the one who, if you don't take refuge in, will destroy you because he's that powerful. You see? 
Trust in Jesus. And be assured, Christian, entrust your life to him. Follow him as your king and leader. Be assured, Christian, your king is strong. Don't worry about the wicked. Don't let them concern you. They do not concern him. Kiss the son. Take refuge in him. Honor the king. He is the Lord's anointed. Swear your allegiance to the king. He is the forever king. He is the one God has installed on the throne. He is the one who will take all the land as his own. All of it. For it is his own. All authority and power and dominion belongs to him. Why do the nations rage? Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that your anointed King Jesus in David's line, the Messiah, is the one that we can entrust our lives to. He is strong and powerful. And we can take refuge in him. We can take refuge from the difficulties of life. We can take refuge from our own uh, sinfulness and the uh, the. the, the, the um, the ultimate uh, punishment that that deserves in him. And we thank you that we found the king of kings, the, the gentle shepherd, uh, the one who's fair, the one who uh, rules with equity and justice and truth. One who, under his kingship, we find satisfaction and joy. And we will forever and ever. And we pray this for your help uh, to live in this, in the light of this, in the light of Psalm 2, this day and this week and these days. And we pray this in Jesus' name.